joining us this morning. We will be continuing in the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, which should be no surprise. But the title for today's sermon is The Fullness of Light. As we continue in the book of Ephesians and in chapter 5, we've talked about the um, church being the bride of Christ. Now, some of us, I don't think all of us, were here for the beginning of the book of Ephesians, but that was maybe a year and a half ago. I don't know exactly how long it's been. It's been a long time. But my challenge for us corporately is that we would just find time this week. It only takes about 15, 20 minutes to sit down and read the book of Ephesians from chapter 1 to chapter 6. So we really get the content and the context of what this book is saying about the church. That it wouldn't just be we're in chapter 5, but chapter 1 was built, or chapter 2 built on chapter 1, chapter 3 built on chapter 2, chapter 1, that we're still building on what God is saying about his bride, what he's saying about his church. And so just as a challenge as we continue the book that we wouldn't lose the whole concept of what God is saying in Ephesians and take time to read at some point this week the whole book of Ephesians. But specifically in chapter 5, Johnny's been hitting on the characteristics of light. What is true light? And as he talked about us being the bride, that we are reflectors of the bridegroom. That as the bride of Christ, we are to reflect Jesus Christ. And the way we do that is by letting our light shine. Johnny was able to sing for us this little light of mine. I can't do that. But uh, we talked about letting our light shine as believers. My question for us first, individually, for you, for me, are you reflecting him well? Are we reflecting his light well individually? But also, are we doing that corporately? That as the body of Christ, as the bride of Christ, we are called to reflect him. And depending on what your answer is to that question, why is your answer whatever it was, whether it was good, whether it was bad, whether you are representing him or whether you're not, how do we know that? How do we know if we're truly representing him? As you guys have walked in um, on ESS on Monday or on Sundays, there's the little vision sheet that has a circle. At the top of that circle says the fullness of Christ. That as the body of Christ, corporately, we are to demonstrate who Jesus is. Not just parts of him, but the whole thing. And today, the reason why it says, oops, I got ahead of myself here on the board. The reason it says the fullness of light is just as we're supposed to represent the fullness of Christ. In order to reflect his light, it has to be the whole thing. Can't just be the parts of life that we like, but it has to be the fullness of the characteristics of Christ-like light. Last week we saw that light consists of truth, we saw it consists of righteousness, and we saw it consists of goodness. And Johnny talked about these things as being triadic, as you can't have one without the other. And so light that doesn't have righteousness in it, it's not true light. That we can't really have truth without goodness. That these three things complement each other and need to all exist at the same time in order for light to exist. In order to know something's of God, it has to have truth, it has to have righteousness, and it has to have goodness. But as we continue in verses 11 and 12, we're going to see three more characteristics that, that complete this picture of light. First, that light has no participation in darkness. Two, that it exposes darkness. And three, light provides a prescription for darkness. And we're going to see this in verses 11 and verse 12. And when we look at this list, it can seem kind of tough, man. It, as, as, the, as believers in Christ, we're here to represent all of these things. But Christ wouldn't ask us to do it if he hadn't put it in us. And he wouldn't ask us to do it if he wasn't going to give us the power to do it. And studying for this, the scripture was very challenging for me. But the Lord encouraged me and gave me some strength that this is not only our commission, but this is what he is willing to do 
through us. And so as we break down these three points today, we're also going to look at Christ's example. That Jesus demonstrated this very well in the Gospels, and we're going to see how he did that situation by situation. So hopefully we're tracking here in the, in the intro of this scripture, and we're going to read a little bit of context before we get to 11 and 12. So Ephesians 5, 6 says, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Trying to learn what is well-pleasing to the Lord. And today we're going to look at 11 and 12, which says, Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. So if we look at verses 11 and 12, the thing I want to look at first is this phrase, deeds of darkness. It sounds bad, but what are deeds of darkness? We're going to look at a scripture in Galatians that lists deeds of darkness that are essentially things that are done in flesh and not in the spirit. But first, just in Ephesians 11 and 12, it gives us two characteristics of the deeds of darkness. First, they're unfruitful. But the deeds of darkness are unfruitful. When we decide to indulge or to participate in the deeds of the flesh or the deeds of darkness, it has nothing to offer us. That sin and the things of the world can give us nothing that Christ has not already given us. And we look at this as the same temptation that Adam and Eve found in the garden. Adam and Eve felt like if they ate this tree, there was something this tree had to give them that God had, yet, had not yet given them. That the deeds of darkness don't let, Satan don't let ourselves confuse us. That, that these deeds of darkness have no value and they have nothing to offer us in themselves. And that is why they are unfruitful. The second thing it says in verse 12 is that it says they are disgraceful and even to speak of these things. Not let alone not even to do these things, but it's disgraceful even to think about, even to speak about these deeds of darkness. And this word disgraceful, basically what he's saying is, is there's, when we partake in these things, we find no joy in them. That these are things we don't even like anyways. We end up doing them, and then two days later or two minutes later, we're all of a sudden we're regretting what we just did. That these deeds of darkness, they have nothing to offer us except disgrace and except conviction. And ultimately, it's not who we are. That as the bride of Christ, these deeds of darkness is not what we are called to participate in. So in Ephesians or in Galatians 5, we see a list of these. It says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in the past that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's a very similar list to what we saw in Ephesians chapter 5. But if we look at this list, some of these stand out more than others. I mean, murder, obviously we don't want to do that. But we look at things like selfish ambitions, just being selfish, that this is a deed of darkness. And anytime you've been selfish, you've like put yourself over someone, you're never pumped about that. The next week, when you look back and like, look how selfish we were, whatever, like, oh man, I really enjoyed being selfish. Because it's disgraceful because Christ has changed our heart. That these deeds of darkness, no matter what on this list, there's nothing they offer us, and there's nothing we can take joy in within these deeds of darkness. And we go back to Ephesians 5, before we talk about deeds of darkness, he talks about participation. Do not participate 
in the um, unfruitful deeds of darkness. And we talk about this word participation. Ultimately, it just means to take part in something. But the main thing I want to distinguish between is indulgence and participation. Indulging in something and participating in something are two different things. When you think about Thanksgiving, you got your pumpkin pie or whatever it is, you indulge in that, you eat it in like five seconds. That's indulging. You've taken it all in. But participation could just be you just took your finger and just got a little bit of whipped cream off the edge of the pumpkin pie and ate it. You didn't indulge in it. No one may even knew that you ate it, but there was a participation. You interacted with it. You partook of it. See, to partake in these deeds of, of darkness that we see in Ephesians 5 doesn't mean we just indulge in them as far as we just spend a lot of time in them, we're really good at them, we um, just enjoy them, all these different things. But participation can be thinking about them. It can be smelling them. It can just be around them where we're just starting to flirt with the deeds of darkness, even if we're not fully indulging yet. But participation just means taking a whiff of the deeds of darkness. And what God's saying is just don't even go there. Don't even participate, let alone indulge. But don't even go there. And I think of the new fad in youth sports of participation trophies. If you just show up, man, you get a trophy. You don't have to be that invested. You don't have to work that hard. But if you're there, you get the trophy. That participation does not require a lot of investment. You may not think, well, I'm not investing in murder, but Jesus says, hating our brother is like murder. You know, we may say, oh, I'm not that selfish, but just entertaining little things can be participating in darkness. And the reason why this participation is so huge is when we participate in darkness, it's really dangerous because what it does is it starts to cloud our discernment. That even if we're not fully indulging in sin, just that participation just starts to get our discernment off a notch. doesn't mean we have no discernment, but our discernment starts to get clouded. I want you guys to think about how your eyes work. It talks, the Bible, Ephesians 1, talks about our spiritual eyes, but I want you guys to think about your physical eyes. And I don't know if you guys ever woke up at like 2 or 3 in the morning, and you're really tired, you try to look at what time it is, you got to go to the bathroom or something, and your phone just like blinds you, that light, because your eyes are so acclimated to sleeping. Your eyes are so acclimated to dark, you look at your phone, and it's like, oh, it just hurts looking at the light. Or you go to the bathroom, you turn on the light, and it's like you're disoriented, you got a headache all of a sudden, because your, your, your eyes are so used to looking at darkness. See, our physical eyes will acclimate to darkness, but our spiritual eyes will acclimate to darkness as well. That when we're around darkness, when we get comfortable being in the dark, our eyes start to adjust spiritually. That even dim lights seem bright when we're sitting in the darkness. I always remember studying in high school, and I would study with the lights off. My mom would come in and flip the lights on. I'd be like, oh, like you're hurt. You know, you couldn't function the way that you should function. But I also want you guys to think about, I don't know if you've ever been outside when it's super bright. Um, I remember for some reason was thinking about recess when you're little and you're outside playing and you got all the, just the, the light of the sun and you walk back in your school, the school's dark and you can't hardly see, like you're seeing spots because your eyes are so acclimated to light. But this is true again, when we're around Christ, darkness is so evident. When we're around Christ and we're, we're exuding this light, when we're around darkness, we know it right away. But when we participate with darkness, we start to lose sensitivity to what darkness really is. But when we're around the light, we almost start to become hypersensitive to what darkness is because we know what the light of Christ looks like so well. So when, when God is speaking through Paul and is talking about the unfruitful deeds of darkness and the, and the disgracefulness that they have, and he's saying, man, don't even participate, 
And because when we do, we can't reflect them. That we cannot be the bride of Christ reflecting the light of Christ and participating in these things. And also, he's just warning us. He's giving us fair warning. Don't do these things because they give you no profit. They have no value. They'll blind you from the light. And ultimately, they're disgraceful. You won't even enjoy them anyways. You may for a moment, but they will catch up to us later. So as we look at this aspect of participating, he doesn't stop there. But we see at the end of verse 11, it says, but instead even expose them. And for us not just to be partial light, but to be the fullness of the light of Christ, we can't just stop with not participating. But after we do not participate, we must expose the darkness in order to be light. We talk about the word exposing something. It basically means to bring light to something, to bring the reality or the truth of something that's been hidden. So I was thinking about if I had a block of wood and I spray painted this block gold and I added weight to it so it felt like gold and I, I don't know, added the scent of gold to it so it looked like gold, smelled like gold, felt like gold, it looked like gold to you guys. But as soon as I threw that block of wood in the fire, that fire would burn that wood up and you guys would know exactly what it was because the fire would expose what that piece or that element was actually made out of. That exposing something, even though it may look like something, Exposing is bringing light and reality and truth to a situation or to an object. You guys maybe have seen this in sports or something where somebody talks a big game, but yet they get in the game and they're not as good as they were talking about and they get exposed. They have this great talk, they have this great game in their mouth, but once they had to play, man, that, that did not translate. Or some maybe a boss who you looked up to as a leader and once times got hard, they kind of just like crumbled. You know, that, that exposing of pressure exposes us. And there's that old saying that says, if you can't take the heat, get out of the kitchen. Kind of that aspect. The heat will expose us eventually. We talked about not participating in darkness. But instead of participating, we do something instead. We don't participate, but instead we expose them. We expose the unfruitful works of darkness. And exposing things is really important because there's three elements to it. First, it brings about truth. When we expose something, we know what it is. But the reason why it's important to know what it is is when we're interacting with darkness, there's really a battle going on, that we are in war with darkness. And it's important to know what you're fighting against. When you look at whether it's old school military, whether it's military now, whether it's sporting events, you start to scout the opponent. You go and you try to find what is true about our opponent, what's true about our enemy. And why that's important is because it's hard to fight something you know nothing about. It's hard to fight if you don't know exactly what it is. But when we have a good idea, we're able to expose what we're fighting. The third element is now we can be effective because we actually know the target we're shooting at. If you were at a gun and there was 20 targets set back there and you didn't know which one you're supposed to shoot at, you may be drilling one, but that's not the object. It's supposed to be over there. We need to know what target we're actually shooting at. Mm -hmm. So when you look at it for yourself, I don't know if you ever had this happen, where you're fighting a certain sin, and it's going in circles. It keeps happening, it keeps happening. And we can do all the different accountabilities, and we can do this, and we can do that, but it just keeps happening. There's a good chance we haven't exposed the actual root, what's actually causing the sin that we're doing. We can fight the, the reaction all we want. It's kind of like you get a rash on your skin for a reason. Maybe you have an infection. Maybe there's something, an autoimmune disease you got going. Just because you're a rash, you can put ointment on it all you want. But what's causing that rash? We have to know what's underneath. And that's what exposing does. It shows us what we're actually fighting. In the same sense, we try to disciple as we try to reach out to our community as we try to help other people. 
Again, I know I've seen people go in that loop, uh, having the same thing happen over and over. But it's our job as the bride of Christ to confront darkness. But it's hard to confront something when we don't know what it is. And that's why we don't participate with darkness, but instead we need to expose it so we can be effective with what we are fighting against. As we look at this aspect of exposing darkness, the thing we're going to find about darkness is when you confront darkness, darkness is going to respond back to you. That's going to happen in three different ways. One, it's going to run. The darkness hates the light, and it will avoid the light at all costs. And when we expose darkness, it's going to want to run. The second thing it may do is it may lash out. That darkness, because it hates light, that when it gets confronted with light, it's going to lash back out at light. We see this all the time in the Gospels. This always blows my mind how Jesus will heal a blind man or heal somebody of a disease. And the next verse says, and the Pharisees hated him and sought to kill him. What about healing that person made the Pharisees want to kill Jesus? That's crazy. That's totally illogical. But they did that because Jesus was exposing the light. He was, ex- or he was releasing light and was exposing darkness. And the darkness in the Pharisees lashed out and wanted to kill the person of Christ. But the third thing that can happen is darkness, when it's exposed, has the opportunity to repent, has the opportunity to be overcome by the light. And just like Christ did to us, we were once darkness, and he changed us into light. And that's the, that's the view we've got to have as the body of Christ. As we expose the darkness, we have to ask, ask the expectation that we're actually going to win, that the light will actually overcome the darkness and to put our confidence in that. In John chapter 3, scripture that explains what happens when the light comes in contact with the darkness. It says, and this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. That we see that, that, that by nature, darkness hates the light and doesn't want to be in the light. And maybe you've seen this, that when God has convicted you of something, there's a part of you that doesn't want to read your Bible. And there's a part of you that doesn't want to come to church. There's a part of you that doesn't want to connect with people. Or we expose darkness in someone else, and all of a sudden, they don't want to come to church. They don't want to read their Bible because Christ is exposing that darkness in them, and there's this nature in darkness that wants to run from the light or lash out or hopefully repent. So as we look at the basis, just this foundation of what this scripture is talking about in Ephesians 5.11, that we can't participate, we can't flirt with these unfruitful deeds of darkness that bring disgrace, but we can't just stop there. We have to step into exposing the darkness. And this is what Jesus did. Is Jesus not only did not participate with darkness, he exposed it, but then also at the end he offered a prescription for the darkness. So we're going to look at three different examples of how Christ enacted these six things that we've talked about, between goodness, between truth, between righteousness, part, not participating, exposing, and then offering the prescription, that this is what the fullness of light looks like. And if we are to represent Christ as the bride of Christ, representing his character, we have to have the fullness of his light, not just the partial light. So the first example we're going to look at it's John 8, which talks about Jesus and the woman caught in adultery. So the scripture reads, But when Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, now early in the morning, 
And he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses and the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger, as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. So as you look at the beginning of this scripture, these Pharisees, these religious rulers, bring this woman to Jesus. And they tell him that because she has been caught in adultery, they have the right to stone her, because that's what it says in the law. And what they had said was actually true. The law did allow for stoning of a woman caught in adultery. So what they brought to Jesus was right. But Jesus wasn't going to participate with their darkness because their point wasn't the law. Their point wasn't the righteousness. Their point wasn't the truth. They wanted to accuse Jesus and accuse this woman. They had this spirit of accusation in them of self-righteousness. So Jesus didn't say to them, oh, guys, I see your point. Hey, you're right. The law says that. He didn't entertain. He didn't participate their dark, with, with their dark motive. He didn't participate with their unfruitful deeds. But instead, he actually attacks the main issue, which was self-righteousness. So Jesus challenges them that, okay, if you want to challenge this woman's righteousness, I'm going to challenge yours. Now, if no one has sinned, why don't you guys stone this woman? That the point wasn't what the law said, but the point was the self-righteousness that was in them. And Jesus wasn't going to be distracted by participating in these things, but he was going to expose their self-righteousness. And the challenge to us is I don't know how many times somebody has brought a word to you or a challenge, even in our culture, of they bring this accusation against the church or they bring this accusation against the leader or they bring this accusation against someone, and we kind of meet them halfway, even though we know they're bitter, even though we know there's these, these dark motives behind it, but we kind of say, well, I kind of see what you're saying, and we start to placate to what they're saying. But Jesus doesn't do that here. Even though they were right about the law, he did not participate with what they were doing, but instead he exposed the darkness that was in them. But the beautiful thing about this scripture is not only did Jesus not participate, not only did he expose, but finally he offers a prescription. He offers a way out to overcome the darkness. And it says, And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of you? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Not only did Jesus deal with the Pharisees accusing this woman, but he dealt with the woman. And he didn't say, hey, it's okay. God's not mad at you. It's okay what you did. No, he picked it up and, and offered her this opportunity to sin no more. He offered her the opportunity for repentance. That repenting from darkness is what brings us into light. That Jesus not only exposed what was going on, but he offered the people a way out, but they didn't really want it. They avoided him. They left. But this woman stuck around, and because she stuck around, Jesus not only showed her what was going on, but he offered her this way out of following him and repenting of her sin. That Jesus covered all the bases. He brought goodness. He brought truth. He brought righteousness. He did not participate, but he exposed, and then he offered this woman a prescription 
a way out of their sin. The next example we got is the young rich ruler in the book of Mark. Now the scripture says, Now as he was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him, and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. And he answers and said to them, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him, and said to him, One thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross, and follow me. But he was sad at his word, and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard is it for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God? So we look at this scripture, this young guy is coming up to Jesus, and he's wanting to follow him. And the interesting thing about this time is he's actually willing to do a lot. That he's saying, man, I, I want to do the commandments. I want to follow the law. But there's a big difference between being committed to something and being able to perform than having faith and intimacy with Christ. This guy wanted to follow the rules. That This guy wanted to, to, to be a part of the law. But there's a difference between following Christ and following the rules. And this guy would look at all the things he was willing to do. But yet he wasn't willing to give up the idolatry in his heart. But the second thing that's interesting is Jesus doesn't even address the spirit of performance necessarily because if you look at the end of verse 20, this guy says to Jesus, all these things I've kept from my youth. There's no way he kept all these things from his youth. No way. There's no way that he'd never committed adultery, which means he never lusted a woman, not even one time. He's never murdered, means he's never been angry with his brother. He hasn't stolen, he hasn't coveted in his own heart. That Jesus could have called him to the carpet right away and said, you haven't done these things, so you can't inherit the kingdom of God. But the thing that was blinding this guy from seeing the truth was the idolatry in his heart. That even if Jesus challenged him on that, because his eyes had become acclimated to darkness, he couldn't see clearly. He couldn't see straight. So in order for Jesus to challenge verse 20, he needed to challenge this guy's heart. He needed to challenge the idolatry that was in him. And so in verse 21, he talks about selling all that he has, that Jesus exposed the real issue. The real issue wasn't um, performance. The real issue wasn't the lack of understanding of the law. The real issue was this, this issue of idolatry, of darkness that was in this guy's heart. But not only did Jesus expose it, he gave him an option. He gave him an option to lose his life for him to pick up his cross. That the only way this guy could get rid of his idolatry was to get his idol off the throne and to get Christ on the throne. And that's what Jesus offered him the, the ability to do. He gave him the option to follow him. He gave him the option to lose his life and to pick up his cross, and to live a life worthy of the gospel. But again, we see Jesus brought all six elements. He brings the goodness, he brings the truth, he brings the righteousness, he doesn't participate with evil, he exposes it, but then ultimately he offered this guy a prescription. He offered him a way out of the darkness that he was living in. And our final example we're going to look at today is Peter when he decides he wants to rebuke Jesus. And in Matthew 16, I shouldn't have cut this off quite so soon, but right before this, there's about four or five verses of Jesus was explaining to the disciples that he was going to have to go to the cross, that he was going to have to die. And in response to this, Peter says, Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, 
this shall not happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. For you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. See, if we look at this scripture from human eyes, from darkness, not from light, it doesn't seem so bad that what Peter's doing. All Peter's saying is he doesn't want Christ to get crucified. But see, Jesus wasn't fooled by Peter's good intentions because Peter's good intentions was revealing something that was very wrong in Peter's heart. His good intentions were, were, were showing that Peter still had a worldly lens on this world. He still had worldly intentions that were deep in his heart. So Peter didn't applaud, I mean, Jesus didn't applaud Peter for his willingness to stick up for him, didn't applaud Peter for his commitment to him, but he exposed the darkness that was in Peter's heart. Because ultimately, what Peter was doing is he was calling something that wasn't good, or something that God called good, Peter was saying it wasn't good. That it, God said it was good that Christ would go to the cross. That Isaiah 53.10 says that it pleased the Lord to crush Christ. It was in God's plan for salvation for Jesus to go to the cross. And the very thing that God wanted Jesus to do, Peter was telling Jesus not to do it. That because of Peter's worldly lens, because of the darkness in him, he was now skewed on what God's plan was and what man's plan was. And again, this is a very relevant problem, just as the other two, of whether it's people being right, whether it's people being willing to be committed and do a bunch of things, but not being committed to Christ. In the same way, a lot of times we can have problems or people have problems with different things that God has set in place, his plan. Just like God has set a plan for authority. That God is, God is the one who created authority. We have so many times we want to rag on authority. We want, especially within the church, that authority isn't good. But when we have a problem with God's authority, ultimately, we've got a problem with him. That this, this is what Jesus was challenging Peter with. Because Peter had a problem with God's plan. Ultimately, Peter was running into a problem with God himself. And Jesus responds to this guy with, But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. That exposing darkness, we can't just lighten up the load or, again, highlight the good things that may be in good intentions because all of Peter's intentions were being skewed, were being attacked because of the darkness that was in him. And so Jesus had to confront this openly with what the real problem was. The real problem was there was these intentions in Peter that were more mindful of the things of man than the things of God. And this is something down the road, if it wasn't exposed, if it wasn't dealt with, that Peter would suffer the consequences for. And ultimately he does, because he denies Christ. And the same root that was in Peter now is the same root that was in Peter when he denied Christ. That Jesus was trying to get at this sooner than later. But ultimately, what does Jesus do again? He provides this prescription. He says in verse 24, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That Jesus offered Peter a way out. He offered him that if he'd be willing to get off the throne of his life, he'd be willing to not look at things through his own lens, but look at things through the lens of the Lord, that this darkness could be overcome. That for the third example in a row, we see that Jesus brought goodness, he brought righteousness, he brought truth. He did not participate with the deeds of darkness, but exposed them, and ultimately gave a way out, gave a prescription. 
as we look at all these, it, it just it blows my mind on how stern Jesus can be with some of this stuff. But at the same time, in every one of them, you see just the love that he had for these people. You know, the, the woman um, who committed adultery, he had compassion for her. That with the young rich rulers that he looked at him and he loved him. And here with Peter, we know Jesus loved Peter. I mean, he, he was his right-hand man. That in this exposing of darkness, we can't cater towards people's reactions. Because darkness is going to react. We have to cater towards truth and be founded in what true light looks like. So as we begin to wrap up, and, and Nat is our one-man worship band, comes back up. Um, we get ready for the offering. I want to go back to that question. Is are we individually reflecting him well? And how do we know that? How do we know if we're reflecting him well? That we have to be able to go to what the word, what the template says light is. And light has truth. It has righteousness. It has goodness. It does not participate in darkness. It exposes the darkness. And ultimately provides a prescription for darkness. That for us to represent the fullness of Christ, for us to reflect him as his bride, this is the type of light that he needs to give us. And this is the type of light that we need to live in. And the thing about light is when Christ starts exposing stuff in us, I don't know if you've ever had him expose something in you, it's not always the most fun thing because God will start to expose stuff in us that we never knew was even there. And that can be a hard pill to swallow. And that's the thing the Lord showed you this week, and I really appreciated this, just studying this scripture. The Lord was just exposing things in me that I didn't know was there. And that exposing can be kind of dangerous, or can be a little bit scary, it can be a little bit dangerous, but are we willing to step into it? Are we willing to look at our heart the way God does? Are we willing to look at our city the way God does? What can even be harder is when God starts to expose things in our friends. God starts to expose things in our church. God starts to expose things with many people that we're discipling. And that's hard once we know there's something in it. Are we just going to kind of turn the blind eye? Because that's participating. That's flirting with it. But in order to truly be light, we can't participate with that darkness. We need to be able to expose it. We need to be able to confront those things and the people that we love and the people that we're around. So as we begin to wrap up this morning, I just pray that God will start to give us just that spirit of exposing what's in us that he's trying to get out. What's in our church that he's trying to get out. What are these themes of the fruit of life, the characteristics of life that we still may be lacking? And we just let the Lord expose the strongholds of things that are holding us back and experiencing the fullness of what His life truly is because there's nothing better, there's nothing more joyful, there's, there's nothing greater than walking in the fullness of Christ's life. There's nothing that matches up to that. I just pray that we would let God get this darkness out of us so that we can really reflect Him as His bride. We can start to bring out
speaking through Luke was talking about that exposing and looking at exposing in our lives and exposing things that are of darkness in our family lives and our friends lives and also gave me a word of caution to not run off to expose things without Jesus don't leave Jesus back there and run off that way they <laughs> do what you think you're that you've got this big revelation but you have to do it in the name of Jesus with Jesus but also looking at that exposure we're looking at layers you know, very seldom is that darkness just behind one little peel, but it's through a lot of different layers, a lot of peels. It might be under one layer of resentment, one layer of, of hurt, one layer of bitterness, one layer of resentment, one layer of jealousy. It's all these layers. So once the Lord um, shows you that one layer, don't be afraid to go deeper. Because once you get all that stuff out, that after you get off every layer, is all that pus and festering and stuff that gets off. You're going to feel better and better and better. But don't stop there. It's just like when you have to take um, penicillin for an infection and you feel better and stop taking it. Then you get worse. But the Lord just wants us to keep going. Even when we start to feel better and lifted, keep going. Keep digging. Just keep going into that light until we expose it all. And just be right there, just right there, just shining in his light. And with our family, help them go through those layers to shine in his light. We just have to look at that for our families and friends and stuff to just say, okay. And exposure is also an opportunity. Some people think, oh, no, this is just, this is a bad thing. It's going to cause conflict. But exposure is actually an opportunity to go ahead and get where you've always wanted to be. For somebody else to get where they always wanted to be and know that that's a possibility. So when we look at exposure, we're looking at providing opportunity for ourselves and opportunities for others in our lives. So I just thank the Lord for his word today.